withholding the truth or not telling the whole story is a sin in God's eyes. You know, we can, and uh, y'all probably done it when you were kids. I know I done it when I was a kid. I didn't lie. I just didn't tell the whole story. If I didn't, you know, if I if I neg if I neglected to mention part of it, that's technically not a lie, is it? Technically, it's not. But according to God, withholding that part of the story is is sinful, whether it's a lie or not. Withholding the truth of a matter, withholding the whole story. Now, that being said, it says, and if a soul sin and hear the voice of swearing and is a and is a witness whether he hath seen or known of it, if he do not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. So this is uh, someone that's coming basically to a judge or someone that's going uh, in a judgment uh, uh, seat or position. And he says if they're put uh, uh, to the test and they're basically what we would call nowadays swearing under oath, and, and they don't do this. They perjure themselves. And, and it is a sin against God to withhold that story. In other words, uh, you know, just as an example, uh, Israelite A has a cow stolen. Israelite B saw who stole the cow. Israelite C is the one that stole the cow, but Israelite B and C are real good friends. So... The judge, or it's all brought before a judge, and he asks, uh, he asks Israelite B, who witnessed the whole thing, what did you see? Well, I saw the cow walking off. <laughs> <laughs> Not mentioning that Israelite C is the one leading the cow. That's what we're talking about here. It's, it's withholding part of the story. And, and that is a sin in God's eyes. So every time you've ever thought, well, I didn't lie, I just didn't, didn't tell the whole truth. You know, we all, we're all familiar with how court cases start. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Uh, you know, the whole truth is the whole truth. If you're withholding part of that, you are sinning against God. Not only are you sinning against God, but you're going against the laws of our land, but Mainly, and most importantly, we're sinning against God. That is sin in God's eyes. And God, God covers all the bases on this. He doesn't leave room for anyone to weasel out of anything. There are no loopholes with God. If God says it's sin, it's sin. I don't care what man says. And I don't care what, what lawyers uh, get people off on what technicalities. If it is sin in the Bible, uh, back 1,500 years before Christ walked the earth, it is still sin today in 2023. And withholding the truth is, and withholding part of the story is still sin in the eyes of God. Verse 2, For if a soul touch any unclean thing, whether it be a carcass of an unclean beast or a carcass of unclean cattle or the carcass of an unclean creeping thing, and if it be hidden from him, he also shall be unclean and guilty. This is, this is peculiar as well as the verses following this one uh, in that it says, If it be hidden from him. Well, who in the world can touch a dead critter or a dead animal and not be aware of? Who can touch an unclean thing? Who can be defiled and not be aware of it? Especially in these examples here that are given. But God says it can happen. This is why, uh, why it is perfectly fine when we pray. 
And when we're when we're uh, when we go to God, and, and of course we make our petitions to Him, we make our requests known to Him. But but when we ask forgiveness of sin, when we're seeking God's forgiveness, and we think about what we've done throughout the course of the day, there is absolutely nothing wrong with saying, "And anything else I may have forgotten, anything else I may not be aware of." This is uh, this is ignorant sin, basically, and we covered that. A couple of chapters ago, or a few chapters ago, in Leviticus covered what, exactly what ignorant sin was. And it is just what it says it is. It's sin that we're, we're unaware of. But nevertheless, no matter how ignorant we are of the law, whether it be the law of the land or the law of God, no matter how ignorant we are of it, man is without excuse in front of God. We have no excuse. Nature itself uh, declares the righteousness of God and declares the glory of God. And we are left completely and utterly without excuse when, uh, when we come before God or when we are before God. And it was no different for these Israelites here. It didn't matter if they knew that they had touched an unclean animal or in the next verse they knew they had touched the uncleanness of man. It didn't matter if they were aware of it or not. It defiled them. And folks, we are defiled daily. We're, we're, we're defiled daily. I, I may have uh, used this example before. It's an example straight out of the scriptures. Uh, but when, when the priests, when they would come into the tabernacle and they would offer at the brazen altar, they would, they would offer a blood sacrifice there. But then, where did they go? From there, they went straight to the labor. The labor was nothing but water. But they were to cleanse their feet when they come to the labor and their feet only. And why was that? Because they had been out there amongst, amongst the other Israelites. They had been wandering around from tent to tent. They'd been in, in so-and-so's tent that was, that was a drunk, so-and-so's tent that was a known liar, so-and-so's tent that was, that was a thief. They were defiled by the world. I'm not saying those sins, those particular sins had creeped into them. But folks, when we get out in the world, when we go to our places of work, we're, we're subject to seeing and hearing and, and smelling and tasting and, and touching all sorts of sin. And it defiles us. It defiles us. And, and if we don't seek God for forgiveness of those things, if we don't seek God to help us with those things, those things that defile us on a daily basis will eventually harden us. Right. And, and, and getting hard to sin is a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing in the life of a Christian. It's an ultra-dangerous thing in the life of a, of, a, of a lost person. But it's a dangerous thing in the life of a Christian because when we get hardened to that sin, whether we're aware of it or unaware of it, uh, when we get hardened to it, we're like, well, God's not punishing me. I don't feel any wrath of God. I don't feel any chastisement from my Heavenly Father. He must be all right with it. No, God's not all right with it. God's never been all right with sin. He, he's, he's never been all right with it. He's never been okay with it. And he's never just swept it underneath the rug. God, God cannot stand sin. And as a Christian, we should not be able to stand sin in our own lives. That's why we've got to crucify the flesh. That's why we mortify the deeds of the flesh. That's why we repent daily, because we sin daily, and because we witness sinful things daily. These people here, God says, if you touch an unclean thing, if you, if, if you touch a, a, a man and his uncleanness, or whatever the case is, say, you are defiled. 
And we go out here and we wander around in the world and we read the paper and we hear the news and we scroll through Facebook and we see all sorts of sinful things. And a lot of them we're not even looking for. They just pop out there. But nevertheless, it defiles us. It defiles us. And God says that we need to be cleansed because of that. Verse 3, or if he toucheth the uncleanness of man, whatsoever uncleanness it be that a man shall be defiled withal, and it be hid from him, when he shall knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty. So we have here, when he shall, when he shall know of it. Even though he's unaware of it, when it comes to his conscience, when he realizes this sin, it says, then he shall be guilty. Well, folks, this falls right in line with what Paul says to the Roman church when he said, if it had not been for the law, he had not known that lust was a sin. He would not known his sin, period. And none of us would know our sin if it was not for the moral law that God gave mankind. Uh, God, God gave that, to, uh, that law to mankind that we could see our, really, our filth, our nastiness, our sin, our disgustedness, our, uh, just our wickedness. But he not only gave it for that, that's not the only thing that he gave the Ten Commandments for. He also gave the Ten Commandments that we could see his purity and that we could see his righteousness. We can see our unrighteousness in it because none of us are able to keep those Ten Commandments. But we can see his righteousness because he was in Jesus Christ and is able to keep all of those commandments. So there's a twofold reason the Ten Commandments were given. So we could see exactly what, what we are and who we are, and we can see exactly whom God is. That's the two reasons that those commandments were given. But when, when, he, when he knows it, according to verse 3 here, it says, And it be hid from him, when he knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty. Then he shall be guilty. We're defiled regardless. We're defiled with sin regardless. But when we know of that, that's when we know that we're guilty. When it's brought to our attention, when our, when our conscience uh, 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 bears on us, when, when the, especially when the Holy Spirit of God brings it to our attention, hey, you said this, or hey, you thought this, or, or whatever the case is, then we shall be guilty. We'll be guilty uh, in, our, in our own life and in our own mind and in our own hearts at that point. Those of you that have been uh, uh, in the adult Sunday school class, we've been going through 1 John, and John speaks of this very thing. He, said, he says, if your conscience condemns you, God is greater than your conscience. God is greater than your heart. Yes, I'm a born-again child of God, and I know that I'm going to heaven, but folks, my conscience still condemns me sometimes. And, and sometimes it condemns me over stuff I was forgiven of when I got saved. It, it condemns me over stuff that happened 20 or 30 years ago that, that was for, forgiven me the moment that I got saved. You know, this kind of kind of goes back to uh, uh, one of my favorite examples to use in such a, uh, uh, such a matter as that is God will save the drunk. I think we can all agree with that. God will save the drunk, but he might not do anything about the cirrhosis that the drunk's gotten over the years. God will save the prostitute. He might not do anything about the HIV. God will save the liar, but he may not, you know, turn those whom, whom the liar has lied to, he might not turn their hearts in a good way toward that liar once he saves them. We have to live with the consequences of our sin. This verse here, verse 3, says, when he, when he knoweth it, 
He is guilty. He is guilty. And folks, even though I've been forgiven of it, I'm still guilty of sin. I cannot let it get in my head that I'm walking around this earth with a halo and with a with a check mark above my head or anything along those lines. I can't let that get into my head that that's the case. It is Jesus Christ and he alone why I'm going to heaven. It's Jesus Christ and his sacrifice is exactly why I stand before you a saved, born-again child of God right now. Amen. But my, my conscience will still condemn me. Whether, whether I realize I'm defiled or not, the Bible says I am. So me standing before God one day saying, I didn't know, that ain't going to hold water with God because his word tells me differently. Verse 4, Or if a soul swear, pronouncing with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatsoever it be that a man shall pronounce with an oath, and it be hid from him when he knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty in one of these. Well, this one ends in an odd way. It's got the same wording of it. When a man knoweth it, then he shall be guilty. But it ends with he shall be guilty of one of these. What is one of these? It's specifically talking about the verses that we just went through. Whether it be uh, the soul that touches an unclean thing or the one that touches a man and his uncleanness. You got, or verse, verse one, when it's talking about uh, uh, lying or withholding the truth as we've already covered. It's talking, you will be guilty of one of these, so specifically talking about uh, uh, about those sins. That's why we have those ors there. That's why we continued reading all the way through this, because all this is connected uh, to that uh, that last uh, last line there. It says, and, and it shall be I'm sorry, and it be hid from him when he knoweth it, he shall be guilty in one of these. And it shall be when he shall be guilty in one of these things that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. In what thing? In one of the things that we are specifically talking about here from, from Leviticus 5, 1 on up to where we are now. He's guilty of one of those things, but this is, this is different. This is different because we haven't read anything in Leviticus 1 through 4 about a physical, audible confession with your mouth. We assume confession, but it hasn't been mentioned. Just like in the last chapter, chapter 4, where we began the sin offering. You read Leviticus 1, Leviticus 2, Leviticus 3. You get to Leviticus 4, that's the first time sin's brought up. Sin is assumed. Sin, it's obvious that man is a sinner. It's obvious that I'm a sinner. It's obvious that you're a sinner. Our conscience condemns us of that. But we see sin in chapter 4. Here we have confession. And that hasn't been brought up, like I said, and as far as a man making an audible confession about his sin. But here uh, uh, we have it. It says, and it shall be when he shall be guilty in one of these things that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. Why is that? Because these sins that we're talking about here, one, they're ignorant, but we've covered ignorant sins up to this point. But two, it might be private sins that we're talking about that only the sinner knows about. When In Leviticus 1, in the burnt offering, 
when they bring that burnt offering, they lay their hands upon it, and we covered that in Leviticus 1, how, how that, uh, that word for the laying on of hands means to lean heavily upon. When they do that, they are recognizing that they have sinned against a holy God. That is their confession. And it's no different throughout any of the rest of the offerings that we've read about. That is recognition that I'm a sin, uh, a sinner. So here, though, we have a verbal confession of the sinner. And why is that? Well, the other ones were more public. This one here, or these sins here, could, uh, could be more private. It says that he should confess that he hath sinned in that thing, and he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord for his sin, which he hath sinned. A female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of the goats, for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning his sin. Now, this is what I was talking about before we really got started tonight. Yes, it refers to it as a trespass offering, but it says you're bringing this for a sin offering. And there's people out there that will go to great lengths to, to separate the trespass offering and the sin offering. And the Bible plainly says that they are the same thing, that it is a sin offering, which is what we covered last week in Leviticus chapter 4, and it continues on into Five and the next chapter in chapter 6. But it says here, uh, like we read last week, it says uh, he, uh, the one that brings their trespass offering can bring a female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of the goats for a sin offering. So like we explained last week, you can bring a female because it's, it's not concentrating so much on the offering itself as it is on, on, on the, the reason that the offering is being made. They didn't want, uh, God, I don't believe, wanted them to put value on the offering itself. We'll see that towards the end of the chapter, the value that's put on uh, another offering that God, uh, uh, God puts into law that is to be brought. But here it can be a female. Uh, and we, we talked about that once again last week. And if he be not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring for his trespass offering, which he hath committed two turtle doves or two young pigeons unto the Lord, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. Let's keep on reading. And he shall bring them unto the priest who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first and wring off his head from his neck, but shall not divide it asunder. And he shall sprinkle of the blood of the sin offering upon the side of the altar, and the rest of the blood shall be wrung out at the bottom of the altar. It is a sin offering. And he shall offer for the second, offer the second for a burnt offering, according to the manner. And the priest shall make an atonement for him, for him, for his sin which he hath sinned, and it shall be forgiven him. So, once again, we see a, kind of a, a decline in the offering. Like, like we saw in the burnt offering uh, and, and other offerings. Because God is making a way that everyone can make this offering. Uh, if you can't bring a lamb or you can't, uh, or you, you can't bring a goat, uh, then God says bring two, two pigeons or two turtle doves. And we've covered that. You know, not everybody could afford a lamb or a goat. Turtle, uh, turtle doves and pigeons are pretty commonplace over there now. And they, uh, they were back then as well so god's making a way that everyone can come in he doesn't end it with this here but the significance of this is the person to bring a lamb or a goat brings only one but the person bringing turtle doves or pigeons they're to bring two one for a sin offering and one for a burnt offering why would that be do you think 
mean, it's it's up for debate. I'm not God. I don't know exactly what he what he was thinking in that. But if you go back to the peace offering, the peace offering was the exact same way. The burnt offering was the same way. You know, the people that were poor, they had less to offer. So if if they could bring two two birds, two pigeons, or two turtle doves, uh, and offer one for a sin offering and one for a burnt offering, then Hopefully that would help them see that it's not the offering itself. It's not the lamb. It's not the goat. It's not a bullock. And that's not even mentioned here. It's not the size of the offering. And it's not the value of the offering. It is the offering itself. It is what God demands. And if all that these people could bring unto God was a couple of birds, and that's what God demanded, then they are, they are meeting what God required. And I believe that's the reason behind it. One for a sin offering and one for a burnt offering. And we'll keep on reading here. In verse 11 it says, But if he be not able to bring two turtle doves, we're going even poorer than the poor here. If he be not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he that sin shall bring for his offering the tenth part of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil upon it, neither shall he put any frankincense thereon, for it is a sin offering. And again, we keep reading in these verses, it is a sin offering. So do not make a distinction between the trespass offering and the sin offering. They are one and the same. But he says, if you, if you can't, afford or you can't find two pigeons or two turtle doves, bring some flour. Bring some flour. Well, where did we see that at? That was in the meat offering. Back in Leviticus chapter 2 where we, uh, where we first read about that, about bringing the flour. And some of it was mingled with oil. And, and the poorer folks, they would bring their little wafers and it would be dabbed with oil or anointed with oil, as the scripture said in Leviticus 2. But here God says, that's not what I want. This isn't for uh, a specific meat offering. He says, it is a sin offering. And that's why there was to be no oil. And that's why there was to be no frankincense. What was the frankincense symbolic of? That was symbolic of the sweet savor that it was to be in the nostrils of God. Folks, this is a sin offering. Sin stinks in the nostrils of God. It stinks in his nostrils. God hates sin, and God cannot stand sin. God didn't want frankincense, and he certainly didn't want any oil mixed in with the sin offering. With the meat offering, yes, that was all great and fine and well. That was, that was a celebration. That was a fellowship offering. A fellowship between man and God. A fellowship between man and his fellow man that had a locked faith of him. This was not a fellowship offering, though. It is a sin offering. God did not want oil mixed in with it. He didn't want anything uh, mixed in with this offering that even resembled or symbolized the Holy Spirit. Or resembled or symbolized the Word of God or anything else that you might think of uh, that that oil symbolizes in the Scripture. He says, no oil and no frankincense. You just bring the flour. This is what you bring. Then he says, Then he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take his hand, handful of it, even a memorial thereof, and burn it on the altar, according to the offerings made by fire unto the Lord. It is a sin offering. What's the huge difference between this one being just flour, nothing else added to it, and the other sin offering? Anybody? It's a sin offering. What was Christ? 
He, he was an offering for what? For our sin. Why was he an offering? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Folks, in this, and, and the Bible plainly says it, it is a sin offering. There is no bloodshed in this flower. I've heard some really weird things about the animals that may have trodden the soil where this wheat or where this barley or whatever it was was grown, talking about their blood. No, folks, no. This is all these people could afford. This is all they could do. But it also gave them something to look forward to. Even though there was no bloodshed, and even though God says this is a sin offering, even if they just they bring their flour and, and, they, and the priest takes his handful out of and he burns it on the altar. And even though this is the case and there is no bloodshed, it is still a sin offering for the poorest of the poor. It gives them something to look forward to. They can look forward to Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement, when all of Israel sinned. Were, were pushed back. I won't, I won't even say forgiven. They were pushed back. They were pushed out of the way for a year until the next day of atonement. But there was no bloodshed in this one for the poorest of the poor. But to give them something to look forward to. You know, they might have it in their mind. They might have it in their mind. Well, so-and-so was able to bring a lamb or bring a goat. And, and old uncle, whoever, he was able to bring a couple of pigeons or turtle doves. But this is all I've got. That's all God requires. It's all God requires is that you bring this part of flour and they throw it on the altar and it's burned. And that is your sin offering. And then they can say, I did all I could, but I've still got the Day of Atonement coming up. I've still got that where, where there will be bloodshed, not only for my sin, but for the sin of the entire nation of Israel, and I am part of the nation of Israel. That's what they had to look forward to. So it might lay in their mind, I didn't have much to offer God. Folks, if, if you give him what he requires, that's all it takes. That's all it takes. Right? And now in the New Testament, I can't give God anything for salvation. It's already been given. The life of Christ has already been given. His blood has been shed. And that's what Jesus, or that's what God the Father will see as my justification is the blood of Jesus Christ. That blood was shed. That's, that's what anybody who is lost right now, that's what they have to look forward to. And that's all that they can look forward to. That's all the hope that they have uh, of redemption. That's all the hope that they have of heaven. That's all the hope that they have of being reconciled back unto God the Father is Jesus Christ. And us being born again Christians Folks, that, that blood is what cleanses us. That blood is what has reconciled us. It's what has saved our soul. It's, it, it's the, the offering that was made on our behalf. And we still have something to look forward to in that. We have an entire eternity to look forward to, to spend with the God that saved our souls, with the God that, that loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, Verse 12, then he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take his handful of it, even, even a memorial thereof, and burn on the altar according to the offerings made by fire unto the Lord. It is a sin offering. I think I just read that. And the priest shall make an atonement for him as touching his sin, for he has sinned in one of these, and it shall be forgiven him, and the remnant shall be the priest as a meat offering. 
It's given by the offerer as a sin offering. But the re remaining portion of this flower goes to the priest as a meat offering. It's not offered to God as a meat offering. It's offered to God as a sin offering. But that which was left over, God got his part. He got the part that the priest scooped out and threw on the altar. And it was completely consumed. By, by the fire there on the altar, which is symbolic of the wrath of God. It's consuming that, uh, that, uh, that offering, which is symbolic of consuming the sin. So this would have been a great relief to the person that that's all that they could bring was a little bit of flour. Was God got his part, the priest got his part, and I've got the Day of Atonement. So that that would have brought great comfort to any Israelite that was in those kind of those kind of straits. Verse fourteen, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, If a soul commit a trespass and sin through ignorance in the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring for his trespass unto the Lord's unto the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flocks with thy estimation by shekels of silver after the shekel of the sanctuary for a trespass. Offering, And he shall make amends for the harm that he hath done in the holy thing, and shall add the fifth part thereto, and give it unto the priest. And the priest shall make an atonement for him with a, ram, with a ram of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. And something I ain't mentioned yet tonight. I know I've mentioned it other Wednesday nights I've been talking, but we've read it several times here. It shall be forgiven him. It shall be. Not it might be, not it may be. Not God will chew on it for a few days. God says, if you do this the way that I'm telling you to do it, it shall be forgiven you. Now, this sin, though, that we're talking about here, says if a soul committeth a trespass and a sin through ignorance in the holy things of the Lord, it's specifying something else here. We've gotten beyond those first few verses that we read where it's talking about touching an unclean animal or the carcass of an unclean animal or touching a man in his uncleanliness or whatever the case is. We've gotten beyond that. This is talking about sinning in ignorance in the holy things of God in service to the Lord in worshiping the Lord. This would be talking about the tabernacle service and, and later on the temple services in worshiping God. If you have, and this is what God has put forth that you're to bring as a trespass or a sin offering to him if you have sinned in worshiping him. I mean, this it, it kind of goes back to verse 4 where it says, or, or if a soul swear, pronouncing with his lips to do evil or to do good. It don't matter what you swear and it don't matter what kind of oath you're making and whether it's to do evil or to do good. We can, I mean, what's the famous saying? I'm not trying to be derogatory, but the famous saying is the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I mean, that's basically what verse 4 is saying there. It doesn't matter what kind of oath you're making, whether it's good or whether it's evil, or whether you intend to do good or intend to do evil. If you don't follow through with that, it is sin against God. And here we're talking about worship of God. We're talking about service to God and people sinning in that service to God. And it says that uh, he shall bring forth for, him his, for his trespass offering to the Lord a ram without blemish. Here we, we, we've left a female of the flock now, a female lamb or a female goat, and it specifies a ram without blemish because, because this sin is in service to the Lord. It's more heinous. Now, folks, you may 
agree, you may disagree with me. There's degrees to sin. I understand sin is sin is sin in the eyes of God. And that the, that the smallest lie is, is, is equivalent to a murder. All of us have sinned. Every one of us has sinned. I mean, James tells us if a man keepeth the whole law, yet offendeth in one point, he is guilty of all. If, you, if you've offended in one point of the law of God, you're, you're guilty of all. You're, uh, you stand guilty before God. I understand that there's degrees to sin. There's degrees of penalty for sin. And I believe scripture backs all this up. This here just specifies a ram without blemish. We didn't read that in the previous one to do with lambs or goats, to do with a female from the flock. We didn't read that. But here is specified a ram without blemish out of the flocks. With uh, uh, then, he's, then it says, with thy estimation by shekels of silver after the shekel of the sanctuary for a trespass offering. So not only are you to bring a ram unto, uh, unto God for a trespass offering or for a sin offering, you're also to bring money. The value of this ram, and we covered this uh, uh, last week or the week before when we were talking about the difference between females and males, Male animals were worth more than females were. This sin here is costing this person something. It's costing them more than what a female would cost. Uh, as far as the, the offering goes, it, it's, it, it holds more value to the sinner. And, uh, and, but not only the ram, but the, but the shekel. And basically they would bring this animal to the tabernacle later on to the temple. But they would they bring, bring it, and the priest would look at this animal and determine its value. And that's the, and a fifth above that is what is to be given to the sanctuary. So they bring a, a, a ram that's of value to them, plus the money to go along with it. And people will look at that and they'll say, so in other words, sin is perfectly fine with, for a cost. And this scripture such as this, has, has been deemed like that. No, that's not what it is, folks. I've said it a hundred times over. With repentance comes restitution. It's not that I'm paying for salvation, but when I repented, or when I repent unto God, that comes with restitution. What is that restitution? Well, one, I'm trying to do better. I'm trying not to do the things that my flesh wants me to do. That's, that's restitution. I could throw a hundred grand in the offering plate this coming Sunday, and it ain't going to buy any kind of salvation to God. It ain't going to buy any kind of relationship to God. That's not what this is getting at. And other people will look at this, and they'll say, and I've actually heard this, not locally, but I've heard it, that, well, Melchizedek in Genesis was given a tithe. Everybody knows what a tithe is. It's 10%, right? One-tenth. This says, give a fifth. Well, what's that? That's 20%. You got one-tenth, five-tenths, or, or, or one-fifth, and you got 10% and 20%. And it has been preached that because of sin, we are to give 20% now instead of the usual 10%. I've heard it, folks. I've heard it. And you know what I say? Well, praise the Lord, somebody else was reading Leviticus. That's what I say about it. But they got the wrong idea out of Leviticus with that. 
That's not, we're not getting at someone buying their salvation. We're getting at someone has sinned, a grievous sin against God and worshiping God and in serving God. And God says, you're going to pay for this. And this goes back to what I said earlier. God will forgive the sin. He made a way that the sin can be forgiven. And it says there at the end of verse 16, and it shall be forgiven him if he does what I say. Once again, I can throw all kinds of money in the offering plate. It ain't going to buy salvation. But if I come the way that God has prescribed per the scriptures through Jesus Christ and faith and repentance, then I can be saved. This is the way that God made for these people, though. Christ had not yet stepped on the scene. He had not come. He had not come yet. These Israelites were still out in the wilderness. They hadn't even made it to the promised land yet. Christ, Christ was was in the plan, but Christ was not on earth at this point. God says, "This is going to cost that He shall make amends for the harm that He hath done in the holy thing in my service and worshiping Me." Uh, and shall add the fifth part thereto and give it to the priest and the priest shall make an atonement for him. It makes it sound like if you, if you consider the priest as a type of Jesus because the priest is the one making atonement for the sinner. It makes it sound like that the sinner is paying off the priest to make an atonement for him. That's not what it is, folks. You remember the Levites, the sons of Aaron, they, they got no inheritance when they got to the promised land. When they got to, when they got to Canaan and God told them that it would be that way, that the, that the tribe of Levi would have no inheritance. They had no way of making money. Their, their work and their job was to serve in the temple. They couldn't go out to the local 7-Eleven and get a job or get a job as a bag boy at the local food city. They could not do that. They had no way of making money. They had no way of buying groceries. That's why God gave them part of the meat offering. God, God made a way that they could be fed. God made a way that they could, they could have money for the necessities uh, that, that they stood in need of. It wasn't them buying atonement. It is simply God saying, this is how it is. This is how it's going to be. And this is your payment. This is your restitution for the sin that you have committed against me. But again, that verse ends with, it shall be forgiven him. And if a soul sin and commit any of these things which are forbidden to be done in the commandments of the Lord, though he wist it not, yet is he guilty and shall bear his iniquity. And again, we read, we, we read this, though he wist it not. Though he, he may not even be aware of it. Even if that's the case, he's still guilty of it. And the Bible says he will bear his iniquity. Verse 18, and he shall bring a ram without blemish out of the flock uh, with thy estimation for a trespass offering unto the priest, and the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning his ignorance, wherein he erred and wist it not, and it shall be forgiven him. It says he shall make an atonement for him concerning his ignorance, concerning the fact that this fellow that wist it not wasn't aware of it, as the scripture says. He's making this offer, this offering unto God, in in view of the fact that this person, this sinner, was unaware that they were sinning, unaware that they had sinned in the worship, and unaware that they had sinned in the service of God. It says this priest shall make an atonement for him. 
with his offering. Once again, we, and we see this over and over, the priest will make atonement for the sinner. The great high priest, Jesus Christ, makes atonement for us, the sinners. It hasn't changed a bit. It's still a priest. It is the priest that makes atonement for sinners. Everything that we're reading here pointed directly at Jesus Christ, directly uh, at him. But again, that verse uh, ends with, it shall be forgiven him. It is a trespass offering. He hath certainly trespassed against the Lord. He has sinned against the Lord. Trespass, transgress, however you want to phrase that. But either way, he has offended a holy God. And these, uh, this offering that we've read about here in these last few verses, as well as beginning in chapter 1, through chapter, or, or verse 1 through verse 14, all of this was sent against God. But again, I, I want you to pay attention to how it talks about the ignorance of the people and how some of them wouldn't even realize that they were, uh, that they were sinning. And then you got willful sin. We ain't even going to get into that tonight. But this is just about the people that were unaware of what they were doing. But yet God sees it as defilement. God sees it as sin. This is quite the opposite of, say, say a, a sin like Achan's. We, have, we should all be familiar with that over in the book of Joshua. You know, we all know that God told the Israelites not to take of, of anything, not to take of any spoil. And what did Achan do? He took a Babylonian garment. He took, I believe it was 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold. And he hid it in his tent. And what did Joshua say to him? When God revealed to Joshua what was going on, what did Joshua say to Achan? He said, he said to give glory to God. Confess your sin to him. Folks, confession gives glory to God. Confession of our sin gives glory to God. How so? Well, for one, God says that we're sinners. And our confession affirms that God is true in what he says. So that gives glory to God. Our sin doesn't give glory to God. Our confession of our sin gives glory to God. But how else does it glorify God? Well, if we're doing it as saved individuals, and it ain't just in the Old Testament you read about confessing sin, you read about it in the New Testament as well. James uh, touches on it in his book. And, and confession is good for us. I've told y'all before, I don't want to know every deep, dark, and dirty secret of your past. And you don't want to know mine. And, and it's none of my business. And mine is none of your business. You know, I'm haunted with I'm haunted with what I've done in the past, even though I know it's forgiven. You're haunted with some of the things that you've done. And every one of you probably just went back in your mind and thought about something that haunts you once in a while. It happens. That's not ignorant sin. When we're out lost in the world, you know, we're, we're sinning, but it's not ignorant sin because at that point, we don't care if we're offending God or not. But you remember who we're talking about. You remember that the law of God was given to these people just a few days, at most a few weeks, before what we're reading right here. 
You remember that his moral law was given to them from Mount Sinai. And God is saying, when these things happen, this is what you must do. But if you do it the way I tell you to do it, then it shall be forgiven you. It shall be. Achan's sin wasn't ignorant. Achan had been warned what not to do, and he did it anyway. And it not only cost Achan his life, it cost his family's life, it cost his livestock's life. They took everything that Achan owned and took it out and scorched it. Folks, sin's got a heavy price. And Jesus Christ paid that price for us. Amen. Going back just a few verses, we, we can read that and make something out of it that it's not that we bring, that, that they were told to bring an offering plus money. Well, sin's got a price. And the more grievous the sin, the greater the price is. Not, uh, not just in our lives, but folks, it was, it was a grievous price that Christ paid for us. Every one of these offerings, we read about the blood sprinkling. We didn't go much over that tonight because we've gone over it in previous uh, uh, lessons in Leviticus. We, we read about the turtle dove and the pendants having their heads rung off having their heads rung. It said not divided asunder. Their heads wasn't rung off. But, and, and then the rest of the blood rung out at the base of the altar. That's brutal. But folks, that was a picture of the violence that Christ suffered for you. Amen. And that he suffered for me. And that's what we need to think of when we read these things. That brings us to the end of chapter 5. Anybody got any questions or comments on any of